This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Welcome. Uh, my name is Marty. I'm the uh, CEO and co-founder of HeadGum and Gumball. Uh, today we're going to be talking about the power of creator-endorsed messaging. This is something that I'm personally very excited about. It's the business that I'm in. Um, when I, it's really the reason that I'm in this business. Prior to this, I was working uh, at a website called College Humor. I was doing a lot of branded content sales. I met two of the creators there. Their names are Jake and Amir. They had a podcast that existed outside of College Humor called If I Were You. I started helping them monetize that. Uh, quickly realizing that what they were doing there was very similar to what I was selling in the digital space, but it was a lot more efficient in the podcast space and a lot more native. So that got me excited. So I'm, I'm, that was seven years ago, August 2015 when I started. Uh, I've been learning a lot over the last seven years and I'm excited to learn more today from our panel. So uh, let's go ahead and introduce everyone. If you want to start, Lisa, that'd be great. Yeah. Hello, I am Lisa Jacobs. I work at Ad Results Media and I oversee all of our media buying and planning and analytics. So I'm really excited to chat about host read, host endorse ads today. Hello, I'm Sarah Kong. I'm director of brand partnerships at Wonder Media Network, and I'm in charge of RevGen um, in all of our WMN originals. Hey everyone, I'm Narissa Ladak. I am the director of creator partnerships at Gumball. Um, previously, I worked at Acast as the creator network director for Canada. Excited to be here. Great. Cool. So before we jump into the questions, there are a few things that I think are worth defining just because they're going to come up a lot in the conversation. The first is how host read ads are delivered. There's two main ways. It's dynamic insertion and embedded. The latter is when the ad is actually part of the audio file that's getting uploaded to the distribution platform. And then dynamic is a, te dynamic is a technology that uh, inserts the ad at the time of download. So it allows us to do things like uh, special targeting and relevancy um, for the time of the download. The second thing is uh, who's, who's speaking. So is it the host? Is it a producer? Um, is it a produced ad by somebody random? Those are the three ways. And then host read versus host endorsed. So a host read ad is when a host is talking about a brand and then host endorsed is when a host is talking about their experience with the brand. So those things are different in our space as well. Um, okay, great. So the first question is actually for everyone. We can start with Lisa, but of all the ad types available to podcasters, what format do you prefer and why? Produced programmatic ads. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I saw your face. I wanted to just see Let's your, change the title. I, I wanted to see your face. Um, so obviously host endorse. That's why we're on this panel, right? Uh, couple of things like this is where podcasts came from like this is back to our origins it's why podcasts work so well the hosts and their audience have a special connection when you're listening you feel like the host is a friend that's talking in your ears whenever you're doing laundry dishes anything that you need some sort of entertainment and um, and that's what lends itself so well to the host endorsement if you already have the trust of an audience as a host and you genuinely like a product, 
and give that ad read, that's gonna work better than anything else. Not to say there's not space for other types of ad reads in the space, but that's what's going to really break through and resonate with the audience. Fully agree. Sarah? I fully agree. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say no ads, just to make everything controversial here. Um, no, so definitely host red ads, and to kind of dovetail on that, it's, I was talking to some partners earlier today, and it's interesting that in the age and the era we live in right now, where we're in an influencer economy, everyone is trying to be an influencer, we're actually still trying to convince the world that host red ads are actually more effective. And it's, it's if you were following TikTok or, or you know, Instagram, you know that you're following these folks because you trust them and you believe in them and what they're saying is, is coming from a genuine place. And that's exactly what we're doing in the podcast space with host red ads. So um, it's, maybe we're preaching to the crowd here. I don't know exactly who's, who's here, but definitely host red ads are the way to go. I fully agree with my fellow <laughs> panelists. I um, believe that the host red ad is a very powerful format of advertising. Um, to top up on what Lisa said, I think the relationship between the listener um, and the podcaster is so special. Um, and hearing a podcaster tell you what products and services they love, whatever they prefer, that can actually really strengthen that bond and add to the editorial. I'll also say that some podcasters actually lean into telling their audience that listening to this host read supports this network, um, keeps this network or show alive, and I love that that can also strengthen that relationship between the listener and the podcaster. And just to jump in, from a performance standpoint, it works. Like, I bought this skirt from a ad from one of my sh the shows I listen to all the time, Lady Gang. So it, it works. We now have data to support that. We have anecdotal evidence. We have internal data. Sounds Profitable just released a bunch of data on Tuesday that continues to support um, the performance and the strength of host endorsed ads. Yeah, that was a cool study. I, uh, one, one of the things that always shocked me prior to getting into this business was the willingness of the host to deliver this unit. It's, it's just the way it's been forever, where when I was selling it in digital, we had such a high lift and we had to pay so much money for anyone to talk about a brand online. And here, people are so willing to do it and they're all very good at it because this relationship that they have between them and their audience who knows and loves and trusts them, there really isn't a more powerful way um, to communicate your brand messaging and really uh, get people to convert to buy skirts uh, and et cetera. So, um, I also bought my shoes from an ad. <laughs> I picked this outfit very intentionally. I think we're, I think we're done. Yeah. Panel's over. <laughs> You're all convinced, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, the, the second question is for Sarah specifically. As the director of brand partnerships, how are you pitching advertising options to partners, and how do these pitches differ based on what you're selling? So Wonder Media Network's a little bit of an outlier in this space still. Uh, most of our partnerships are, are sold as flat fee, larger integrated sponsorships, because that's how we like to work with brands. We only have one, maybe two shows right now that we do sell on a CPM basis. 
Um, so the conversations are definitely different based on who we're talking to. For example, if we're talking to ad results, it's very different than if I'm going to brand direct or if I'm going to agencies like, you know, the media comms of the world. Uh, we, the way I like to present podcast advertising to brands is, you know, a lot of times advertisers are a little bit late to the game and then they like to think that they're, you know, first movers, but they're already five years behind. And so when, when the experience economy was really taking off and all the brands were doing their pop-up experiences and everything was about experiential, 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 it took about five years for brands to really get into that space and then invest in it. And now everyone's doing it. But I would say probably even from a few years ago, I was going to brands and telling them that podcasting, digital advertising is really the experiential economy in the digital space and to think about it that way. And it's not even just, you know, a one-time pop-up experience. This, this experience in the digital space a lot of times lives in perpetuity, at least the way that we sell, because we do sell um, embedded, baked-in campaigns for, for all of our shows at the moment. So um, that's, it's, it's, we're a little bit of an outlier based on, I think, maybe a lot of the ways that um, traditional podcasts and networks sell, but that's, that's how we do it. It's been a few years since I've been actively selling in the space, um, and I'm curious, back a couple years ago, it was challenging when talking to digital agencies about podcasting because it felt like they didn't understand what bucket to put that dollar spend in, 100%. and so we relied on teams who understood podcasting, like ad results, um, to be more reliable in that space. I'm wondering how, how when you're facing that challenge, who, who are you trying to convince and how do, you, how do you find the right people? That's a daily battle um, every day. I try to think about this is what keeps me up at night. Um, a lot of times you're also working with people, I won't say dealing, you're working with people who don't necessarily understand the space still, right? And so if I'm talking to some agencies, they just don't understand necessarily how podcasts work. So, so the way I kind of approach it is starting at a base where they already know. So they know what the experience economy is, they know experiential. And now, how do you build that holistic sponsorship in the digital space? And I kind of take them step by step based on that to, to kind of make them understand that in terms that's familiar to them and that they're able to talk to their clients and get, get more buy-in. Because a lot of the times, half the battle is just getting to the brand to get them excited. You need to get buy-in from, from the agency. But um, obviously, like working with ad results, is great because they understand and they believe in the vision and um, did I answer that? Yeah, I think so. Can I ask a question? Yeah, absolutely. We're going off script here. Um, I'm curious from your point of view how those conversations have changed over the last couple of years because I know from personal experience over the last, I don't want to date myself, let's say five years, um, the conversations are changing with those ones that are resistant. So I'm curious what changes you've seen. Uh, the, the door is a little bit more easier to walk into, for sure. We're having brands, now we're actually getting some inbound requests about, hey, we wanna create a bigger sponsorship with this podcast, how do we do that? We're like, we've been talking about this for over five years, but great job, you're doing wonderful. Um, so I think it's, it's the e conversation is definitely easier. You're seeing uh, less reticence to kind of move because they're all looking, all the brands are looking at other sponsors and what they're doing. So if they're seeing 
the cores come in and they're like, oh, we have big Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies doing this. How are we going to up the ante and how are we going to create, uh, put a stake in the ground and be first movers in this space? So that's, we're able to have these conversations that push them a little bit more rather than these conversations we're having even a year ago. Yeah, I mean, look, there's people, this is becoming a more mainstream industry for sure. Uh, the power of creator-endorsed messaging is kind of becoming pretty undeniable. And I'm curious, while we're off script, Lisa, uh, are, are these bigger digital agencies ever coming to DR agencies like you guys for answers or like study sessions or anything? It's a good question. Um, I wouldn't say they're coming for study sessions. I would say that we tend to get carved out because the larger AORs don't have the knowledge and the team and the skill sets in some cases to handle the audio portion. And so that's where we can come in and be complimentary. We're never gonna be an AOR. Like we don't, we don't do anything besides audio. And so they really bring us in because we are specialists in the space and work alongside them. Sometimes we're working through an agent, another agency. Sometimes we're working in conjunction with the AOR and the brand directly. Just depends. Cool. Um, the, actually, the next question is for you. So you're back on the hot seat. All right. How does your buying strategy vary with different ad types? So I wouldn't say it varies by ad type. I think we really start with the client and, and what their goals are. So we're, we're looking at a number of factors. To give some examples, we look at, is the product or service endorsable? Like, is it something that we can send them, offer them, that they can try? That obviously plays a big role into it. What's the goal of the campaign? Like, what, are, what is the client trying to do? And what's the, the longevity of the campaign? Is it, we want to be on Black Friday through Cyber Monday, and only that time because we have a very specific offer and then we don't want it anywhere, that's gonna be a very different campaign than we wanna build our brand into a household name. We're coming from a DR standpoint place and we're doing really well, how do we take it to the next level? So we take those and a number of other factors into consideration to determine what mediums they should be on. Like I said, we're, we're audio agnostic, so we do local radio endorsement, national radio, Sirius XM, um, YouTube, and podcasts. So it, it depends on where the client goals are, where they sit, what mediums we're going into, what shows we're partnering with, what types of ad reads, how we're serving those ad reads, which thank you for defining at the beginning. Um, I think that's really helpful and has been a common theme so far this week in terms of education and getting on the same page about what we're talking about. Um, so that was a, a broader answer than you asked for, but um, that's how we approach it. It's always client first. We are very show specific. We don't do broad, broad swaths um, and find the right connection between those clients, brands, and the right shows. I'm curious, you're, you know, the agency name, right? Direct results, like we were- Ad results. Ad results, right, sorry looking for results specifically. What I'm curious about is, has awareness become a larger presence in the conversation rather than just results? Because we look at the brands that are entering this space now, and there, while there certainly are gonna continue to be 
um, DR brands who need those results. It seems like there's a lot more brands who don't care about the back end as much and are looking for awareness. So I'm wondering how, how do you change that conversation when you're talking to those brands and does that change the types of shows you're looking for, the types of hosts and reads that you're looking for at all? It, it more gets into a measurement question. So it goes back to what are their goals if they have awareness, branding, brand affinity, lift goals. That's how we're gonna look at it and approach the campaign. It's important that we set up the measurement in the beginning to be able to track that. We rely on a lot of our foundation though. We have a lot of great data and we know how to make it for work for DR. So we feel very confident in parlaying a lot of those same strategies and skills into the branding space. Cool. Um, the next question is for Narissa. When working with podcasters, how do you help them think about host-read ads, and how has that changed over time? Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest change that we're seeing is more and more podcasters moving towards dynamic ad insertion. Um, this is the technology that allows one to geotarget and stitch an ad in at the time of listen or download. Um, and this is wonderful for listeners because someone like me who binges podcasts and listens to shows from two or three years ago, I hear refreshed ads and something that's brand new rather than something that's baked in and stale at that point. Um, I'm like, host red ads are obviously a lot more powerful if the host has some connection to the product or service. So if they've used it before, if they're authentically a fan of it, I think that that can really make a host host read more powerful um, and more effective. So not just reading a script, but rather like leaning into it. Um, I think it's really important to also think about your ad markers. So where are you actually inserting the ads into the episode? So mid-roll especially, I always advise to think about a transition point. So if you're going from one segment to another, or if you're changing guests, that might be the best place to insert the ad. So that's something that creators really need to think about more. This is, go ahead. Sorry, I'm just like stealing your panel over here. Um, are you seeing more pushback from hosts in terms of endorsing? Like, are you finding them pickier than they were a couple of years ago? Well, coming from Acast, I felt that like it, it was at times a little bit of a gray area, like what is a host read ad versus a host endorsement. Um, and I also really appreciate the defining of the terms because I think it's important for the definition to be clear across the industry and how much a creator gets paid for one versus the other. So defining that, um, and that's becoming more um, clear as I um, work in this industry over time. It's an interesting segue into, you, you mentioned like the changing space and some of the challenges that you're facing. Do you, do you think that there are other products or features that companies like ours could build that would help alleviate some of the problems that you're talking about? Well, one of the biggest challenges that I see is that smaller shows are not really meeting the threshold for monetization via host red ads. So in the past, the thresholds were lower, maybe 5,000, 10,000, um, but now to get a return on that, on that scale, it, it's not really feasible. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of diverse hosts are the ones that are getting kind of squeezed out. So my hope is that we can continue to sell smaller shows, maybe as a bundle, um, without losing the intimacy of the host red ad. 
So it's a bit of a conundrum, and I don't know what the solution is, but I hope that those voices w won't be lost in our industry. Love it. Uh, it's kind of a similar question I can throw to both of you guys, which is like, what do you wish existed that doesn't exist right now to help make your guys' jobs easier? Sure. Um, time, you know. <laughs> I think um, being able to have time to turn around host red ads and get that approved. Because when, you know, all the, the sponsorships that we do, with the exception of Majority 54, um, we do have to send a script and then the audio as well to the brands for approval beforehand. So we don't always have that time to be able to turn around very quickly. So that is definitely a challenge when we're, we're you know, working on these host red endorsements. Time's one of mine as well. Um, <laughs> I think the, the time to market is difficult. So when we have a client new or existing come to us with new budget and say, hey, we want to increase next week, like that's not really a feasibility with hosts endorsed if they've never been on the program before. We have to ship them the product, get them a log into the service, have them try it, have an onboarding call, and then they can actually do the read. So it, it takes time and so yeah, I, I mean, I wish there was always more time. Um, do you want my other grievances? Yeah. Um, All of them. <laughs> so it's not really a grievance, it's a challenge in the space, it's unregulated. So hosts can say whatever they want in your ad read, before your ad read, after your ad read. And it's something we work really hard to caveat and talk about before new brands enter the space, but it's something that you run into on a regular basis. And so how do we, how do we tighten up that feedback loop? I think, I'll toot our own horn, I think our team does a really good job at it, but across the industry, like how do we tighten up that feedback loop and make changes because of, because of it? Um, and then something that you guys do that most other networks don't do, that we're seeing some of the, the larger brands think is table stakes is hearing the ads beforehand. Um, that's, we don't think that's a good idea. Uh, we don't want everyone to do that, but it's, it's a question we get a lot from people that are new to the space. When am I gonna be able to review the ad before it goes live? Yeah, that was another part of this industry that I, like blew my mind was the fact that brands were just okay with a host delivering an ad before they could hear it. Like in, in, in the digital world, we had three months of revisions, basically, before a video could hit YouTube. Um, and in, in podcasting, we can turn it around in 12 hours, which is, is nuts. Lisa, I just have a question for you. Um, how do you feel about the refreshing of creative? Like, do you think it's important to yes. swap out creative after a certain period of time? Yes, definitely. Um, I think that's, they were talked about it on a panel earlier today, it's one of the, more challenging parts of as we move into DAI, the hosts aren't thinking about it when they sit down to record, like, oh, I just have to do another ad while I'm making my podcast. Um, so consumers, I mean, as a listener, I hate hearing the same ad more than once. Like, they should be different. Right, and maybe um, have an element that is continuous with the content um, and, and relevance connects. connects. Yeah. It, it's interesting. So, like, people, different 
platforms are selling the ads time-based differently, if that makes sense. I don't know if I said that correctly, but one of the ways that, because frequency capping isn't a thing in this space, because we can't, you know, the data available to us is so minimalized, uh, the way that you sell and the time period in which an ad is sold feels really important to me. It's one of the reasons why we set it up weekly versus monthly. It's to try and avoid that exact issue that you're talking about with just barraging somebody with, with multiple of the same ad. But then you run into the issue if you binge listen to a show, even within the week, yeah, you're oh, going to totally. hear the same ad a and ton that, of times. And that problem feels somewhat unavoidable right now. And so I, that is something that I would love to try and figure out. It feels like um, the data part of it is just the tricky part. Yeah, it's like Hulu however many years ago when you would just have the same ad four times in a row. But see, they have the data. They're just... Now. They're, now they do. Yeah. Um, did you want to add something? Oh, I was just going to say that hearing the same ad actually hurts the most loyal listeners because you're just binging and, yeah. yeah. Leads to a lot of skipping, I imagine. Um, the last question that I wanted to throw to you guys is I'm sure a lot of people here who are thinking of creator-endorsed messaging probably are looking for examples of who does it well and why they do it well. So maybe we can go down the line and if you have anybody in mind who you know that does a really good job of this, people at home and online can and in the room, can, yeah, can go listen to some of their ads so they have a reference point to what's good. Okay. You absolutely um, We were actually talking about this last night. Conan O'Brien just did an amazing spot for Solo Stove, um, which is an outdoor fire pit, for those who don't know. And he did a video component with it, so it kind of goes along the trends of what we've been talking about all week with moving into video. But it goes back to the host truly enjoying the product. That comes through in the read. It comes through in video. It comes through in audio. You can tell if you are a consistent listener to a show if the host actually uses and likes the product and if they don't and they're just phoning it in. I hate to say the same answer, but I was also going to say Conan. Maybe I should have oh, We should have coordinated first. before. Yeah. <laughs> um, but for a couple of other different reasons too. I mean, they had the episode, or they had a whole episode come out earlier this year that was just ads, and it was part of the reason they did that was because the listeners outside of the U.S. were not getting served these ads, and so they were able to create like the best of series with just ads. I mean, I listened to the entire thing and they're just ads, but the, the reason why it worked, and Conan is a different example because he's so good at being, uh, the, the, the trio of them really, when they're doing these ads, comedy I think is a really powerful tool to be able to get the message across. But even if we certainly know that he doesn't use the product, or cares about it. We want to listen to the ad, and I think as a listener, for to, for me personally to be able to hear a brand that allows a creator to give that to, to give them freedom to be able to read the ad that the way they you know the way they want to the way they know that their listeners will engage actually makes the brand more uh, like palatable to me rather than hearing ads where you just have you know honestly 45 seconds of a CTA where it's you have to read this verbatim, you know, like that is more of a turnoff for me. Even if 
the, the host uses that product and endorses it, for me, I'm thinking about it, and maybe it's because I'm just working in the advertising space, but I'm always thinking about it from the brand side and those conversations that they're having. And there's, I understand there's legalities and they have to be stringent on certain things, but it really does ring loud and true, I think, especially in podcasting, when, when listeners can hear that the, the creators or the hosts have the freedom to be able to deliver the ads and it, it establishes a trust that they have with the, with the host as well. So I think Conan does a great job of it. Um, do you have another answer besides Conan? Yes. Um, so I, I recently joined the team at Gumball slash HeadGum and was doing my homework. So I was binging a show called Dead Eyes. Um, if you don't know it, it's wonderful. Um, it's hosted by Connor Ratliff, who is an actor and 22 years ago he was fired by Tom Hanks who said he has dead eyes. So every episode kind of is like this psychological like just breakdown of the situation like and he talks to various people and his ad reads are so quirky and fun because they all connect back to Tom Hanks and um, he makes these weird connections so like it's not that he's so passionate about the product but it's the delivery similar to Conan that really is fun, and when I hurt them, they make me laugh. So I think it's effective. Yeah, there there are creators who get it, and and they're in this for the business, and they know how to deliver ads that are going to resonate not only with their audience because they know their audience, but also the brand because that's important. If you want to continue receiving ad dollars from a specific brand, you have to perform, and that's what these people are really really good at. That's the common thread. I want to give a shout out to also Jake and Amir, the co-founders of our business. One of the things, and one of the reasons I was so excited to start this was I was listening. They have been working with Squarespace for like literally 10 years. And one of the things that they do that I think is really interesting is that the, every single time they do a new ad read, they find a new available URL and they make up a fake website and they talk about that fake website. And I think that if you can find ways to refresh it that's fun and that your audience will find very silly if you're in a comedy space, um, it, it, it can go a long, long way. Like working with a brand for 10 years and not seeing fatigue is like kind of incredible. Um, so shout out to them. Uh, that's all we have for the questions. What I wanted to do is see if anybody in the audience had questions. We have a microphone, so right here, right away. Thank you. Can you hear me? Okay, <laughs> perfect. Hi guys, thank you for a great conversation. Um, I have a question. So you sort of talked a little bit about how much brands actually understand working with podcasts, host reads, you're trying to get them to do something and five years later they're like, we're ready. So my question, and I'm in the podcast advertising space as well, and so something that we see from the brands is kind of the lack of education. They don't really fully understand. They all want to try it out, but then they're very hesitant and it's not, I don't think that they have this hesitation towards anything else. Like they go work with influencers, Facebook ads, take my money, Google, take my everybody take my money. But when it comes to podcast advertising, it's like, oh, and how this works, I'm willing to think about it. And then they might try out for a little bit. And they're like, well, this show didn't actually give us an ROI after two episodes. So I think podcasting is not for us. And so my question to you guys is, do you have sort of thoughts and ideas on how we, just even as an industry, can help educate brands better 
how, what we can do to give them tools and enough information for them to be comfortable um, giving their money to the podcasters the same way they are now doing to the big tech. I can kind of jump in from my end. Um, if we had the solar bolt, I wish we knew, you know, like I wish we knew how we can do a better job of educating. I think a lot of it is just time and being able to intelligibly talk about brands along that same, in, in that company, right, that they belong to and tell them how other brands are also moving in the space. I think it's really, what's, what's, what I love about the podcasting industry is at least at Wonder Media Network, we have a lot of flexibility to be able to work with the partner and say, let's be co-collaborators on this. We want you to also have a say in the creative process and we bring them on very early. And you know, we'll even have meetings with the production team, with editorial, and just so that they feel like, oh, this is a different space than I would get you know, doing something else. So um, I think being able to differentiate the, the, the medium as like a very creator friendly and brand friendly and we'll do what we can to make sure that your message is getting across. It's, it's I, th I think having that customizability and bespoke lens for us has been really helpful in having these conversations with brands. I would say it's, it's a lot of conversations. It's a lot of education. It's understanding where the brand is hesitant. Is it what we were talking about earlier that they can't listen to the ad first? Is it how do I measure it? What do I compare it to? Like, you have to be curious about where they are, what other mediums they're in. How can you say, oh, we're, we're like influencers in this way, but we're more similar to digital in this way? And, and try to find a common language with them to get them across that finish line. But it's, I wish there was one answer for all of them, but it's gonna depend where their hangup is. One, oh, just from the a creator partnerships, on the creator partnership side, I think test campaigns are really interesting. So maybe, um, you know, offering a discount if you book a certain number of campaigns as a way for a brand to really test and see what shows are converting or increasing awareness, um, I think have, have worked for Gumball in other spaces, so. One kind of tactic, I guess, that we've also been, been employing is, um, at least for us, when we're working with these bigger, these bigger brands and larger sponsorships, a lot of times I look at what they're doing, how they're advertising in other medium, in other spaces, and I want to show them that we can be a partner to that. So even with the creative that we're building and the crafting of the scripts, what you're doing here on this side will drive traffic to that. Like we want to help you, we want to create and be a part of this 360 campaign that's going to yield ROI, right, for this other campaign that's also going to make you look good internally. So I think finding ways to buttress what they're doing elsewhere is, has been a successful conversation starter for us. The time, right? Think about the internet. Like when it first was a thing that people were spending money in, it was only DR business because big brands were afraid. They didn't understand. And now it's all big brands. And this trend is happening in podcasting and it will continue to slowly happen. That's why I was asking about awareness earlier. The other thing is the conversation, like multiple conversations part is real. And we have a deck for every different type of conversation. The first conversation is an education deck. Second conversation is a sales deck. 
third conversation is a conversion deck. It, it depends on where you are along that funnel of converting the conversation. Um, any other questions we want to? Yeah. Hi. Um, so we're obviously talking a lot about host red ads and endorsements, and I'm in sales. If I could sell host red ads all day, every day, I would. But as we know, a lot of shows don't offer host red, and they um, go to voice talent. So voice talent ads don't have um, a great reputation in the industry right now, but I'm just curious to hear your all's thoughts on how you assess voice talent across really popular shows, like a Brene Brown is an example. Huge show, huge voice, but she refuses to do host red ads. This study that got published on Tuesday uh, should be widely available, I think, to everyone. Um, sounds profitable, put it out, and it's worth taking a look at. The results showed very minor performance decreases from producer red ads versus host red ads. I mean, host red ads still performed better, and they will continue to do so because of the connection with the audience. But it's a, it's a fact that you can lean into if you need to um, and use that deck. I think it's like a, a great resource for that specifically. With a couple caveats. Always caveats. So yeah, so it can't be your radio ad that you run in podcasts. It has to fit with the tone, the content, the vibe of that show. It can't be a jarring, oh my god, there's an ad now. People are going to skip that. We know that. It's not going to work as well. I think what was interesting about the study that they did is they found someone that vibed with the show and it didn't feel disjointed from the content. Yes, completely different person was talking, but it was, it still felt continuous and not out of the blue. Cool. And question over here. Hi, I'm Heather Cook with um, That Sounds Fun Network, and I work in our advertising. And as um, some of you mentioned, as we're going more into that DAI world, um, where historically a lot of us have done more of those baked-in um, embedded ads, have you noticed a decrease in performance, um, especially as you're doing host read? It's very hard sometimes to carry that same tone episodically when you are doing it you know, over a certain frequency. Have you noticed that performance? And then how can we as publishers encourage our creators to be better at creating and sticking to that same tone, I guess, as we're moving in that direction? So just to clarify, are you asking performance between DAI and baked in ads? Yeah, just as we're doing still host read, host endorsed, you know, have you seen that performance increase, decrease between the embedded and DAI? And then is there uh, the best practices of continuing uh, host red as we continue moving more towards DAI? Okay. <laughs> um, so there was actually a great panel on this earlier today. So I'll try and give the short answer. But it goes back to how is that DAI being served? Are you buying a ton of impressions in a very short amount of time? Or are you doing it like Gumball does and you're saying it's for this week, this set amount of impressions? It gets really into backing into frequency, which like we talked about, you can't measure right now, but you can back into it knowing how many people are listening and downloading, et cetera, and how frequent the show is. So I, 
I would say if done correctly, it should perform well. The, the benefit that the embedded has is that long tail because once DAI is done, if you've hit your impressions and the ad's stripped out, it doesn't really have anywhere left to go after that. Whereas baked in, I listened to an episode from four months ago, hear an ad, purchase, you see that longer tail um, and eventually better performance in most cases. Yeah, I don't have too much. I mean, best efforts is like really important. I, Lisa said earlier there's a lack of regulation was a word that was used and it's not like a law, but there are so many different ways that people take a break in their show and some of them are like in the middle of a word. So I, I don't, I, not everyone is doing this the same. And so to compare it industry-wide is I think a fault. Uh, so what you can do is you can work with people who are in this business, who've been in this business, understand best practices and best efforts. And that's one way that, you know, when we're working with a show and we have 200 shows on our platform, we make sure that they understand how to deliver host ads. It's like the first thing we do when they get onboarded, um, taking natural breaks, throwing to, to commercial, like that's important. That, that if you do that correctly, there should be no difference in the user experience between a dynamically inserted ad and an embedded ad. The long tail is a different thing um, because it stays there forever, but the actual delivery and the listenership, it, it, the experience is exactly the same if done correctly. Yeah, I'll just add that I think like even if a dynamic, if a listener can tell that it's dynamically inserted, I think that's perfectly fine. Um, but obviously you want the audio levels to be similar, um, you know, the tone, the language, the type of content that you're delivering in an ad should match the rest of the show. So I, I don't think listeners get turned off by dynamic unless there's something completely off um, with how it's produced. I think just rule of thumb, what would you like to listen to? How was your experience enjoyable? And always kind of looking back to that is if, it, if I'm okay with this and I think there's other people who also agree and if, you know, I don't think anyone's really like, oh, that was really jarring, I really like that, you know? Well, we have 30 seconds left. And before we leave, I wanted to say thank you to everyone on the panel um, and give you guys an opportunity to plug anything that you wanted to. So starting with Lisa, is there anything you wanna plug? Ad Results Media. <laughs> Come talk to us. <laughs> Sarah? Um, there is a, another panel I'm moderating later today at 4.30 in this room, and it's a conversation between Majority 54 hosts and Athletic Greens about sustaining long-lasting uh, podcast sponsorships. And also, sorry, I'm taking a lot of time. Um, we are hiring on the sales team, so if anyone is interested, <laughs> come find me. Nursa? I will plug the gumball.fm blog, which has um, a few posts about host red 101s, like how to create a good host red ad. Um, shout out Kayla, but uh, yeah. Cool. Thank well, you. Well, thank you everyone. Thank you for the questions, and thank you to everyone up here. Thank, thank you. you.